Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Mexico, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Going to be covering lots of stuff today. Prospective stuff that's going to affect your future and current stuff that'll make your hair curl. How's that? And we're going to do a little bit more on the Silk Road Initiative of China. Brilliant undertaking by them. Wait till you see all the other stuff they have going besides the palpable infrastructure projects, both sea and land. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Biden corruption stuff, and we're going to have a big rat-a-tat-tat covering all sorts of things. Recent really important court cases, some gun control, some election fraud remedies that Congress is trying to put into place. I don't know how much of a chance they have with the Democratic Senate. And cadaver in the veto chair there in the White House, or whoever is propping him up at the current time. We're going to talk a little bit about international because things are bubbling along on all sorts of fronts and they could affect much of what you do. In fact, they could affect whether we live or die, but we won't get so morbid in this show. So let's get started. First of all, our founder's quote, and I think particularly with some of the stories you're going to be hearing in this show that this is apropos always, and particularly in these United States, given the First Amendment. This is Thomas Jefferson, October 4th, 1823. Quote, whenever the people are well informed, they can be trusted with their own government. That whenever things get so far wrong as to attract their notice, they may be relied upon to set them to rights. Unquote. And of course, our ranch story. So we're finally getting some hay down on the ground. Wow, what uh, brain damage that's been this year. And the machine that's out here is not our usual machine. It is a big rig, big rig, you know, cutting wings that fold down, all sorts of things. And the fields here, this since this is a mountain ranch, are not these big, you know, 160, 300-acre pivots where you just zip back and forth for half a mile doing your thing. They're small, and they're irregular, and they have ditches, and they have obstacles, and they have all sorts of stuff. It's interesting. It also grows, mountain regions generally grow the best and most productive and most protein content-filled hay. So it's highly sought after. So anyway, this machine was supposed to like cut 10 times as fast and could get the entire place done in a day when it usually takes three or four. And lo and behold, everything has trade-offs, right? So this machine is big and it is fast and it does cut 30-foot swaths rather than 14 or 16-foot swaths. But it's so big, it can't really maneuver the tight little corners here, there, and everywhere on the ranch. So it leaves some hay standing that it can't cut. And it doesn't swing on a dime the way a usual, we'll call it sickle-bladed swather can do. I mean, they're unbelievable machines. They can turn 180 degrees with basically out moving a foot. But this big machine, you got to kind of roll it in, back it out, and do like a three-point turn to make a corner. Now, in the big middle expanses of these fields... It zips. I mean, 30 miles an hour, wings out, hay flying. I mean, it's impressive. And it also lays the hay out much flatter, much wider windrow than a sickle swather, which tends to pile it up kind of in a long, high pile behind it. And laying it out flatter, of course, helps it dry faster. And then, of course, the problem 
comes to get it bailed before it dries too much. The long and the short of this is that it reminded me that everything in life has trade-offs. There is no such thing as the perfect thing. The pros and the cons are always kind of in a struggle, no matter what you do. And the same is true with what swather you use to cut hay, one of the most basic things in the world. Let's talk about the BRICS countries, the history of the BRICS countries. That's our history delving for today. First of all, and by the way, very important because it ties right in with with China's Belt and Road Initiative, the new currency which is coming our way from the developing nations, the alternative world reserve currency. And it's important we've brought you the history of the Silk and Road Initiative, and I give you updates every week because it's amazing and it's ever-expanding and in motion. But the BRICS countries were the nucleus of China's Silk and Road Initiative. The two are hand-to-hand, shoulder-to-shoulder, inextricably intertwined with a common enemy, actually two common enemies, the United States slash the West and the United States dollar. So what is BRICS? BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, it's an acronym. It represents an alliance of five major emerging economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And ironically, it was named by an American, a guy by the name of Jim O'Neill, an economist at Goldman Sachs. He coined the phrase in 2001 to emphasize the combined potential of these countries in the global economy. In a way, America gave the BRICS countries the idea to be the BRICS countries. (laughs) How ironic is that? Kind of like us building up China, who is now our almost equal competitor. In some cases, more equal competitor. BRICS, unlike NATO with all its treaties and all that stuff, is a more informal alliance. And it's bent, kind of like the Chinese Silk and Road Initiative, to foster collaboration and communication amongst the member nations. It's comprised of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, i.e. BRICS. Believe it or not, BRICS was originally kind of launched by Russia. Maybe that's one of the things that gets the globalists in the United States so riled up at Russia. Hmm. On September 20th, 2006, the very first BRICS minister-level meetings were held. And it was, it was a proposal, that meeting, that confab, of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Huh. And it was held on the margin of UN General Assembly meeting in New York. On the 16th of May, 2008, Russia hosted another BRICS foreign ministers meeting. And then another really important step was taken July 9th, 2008. Once again, Russia taking the lead. And at that time, Russian President Dmitry Medvedev met with the Brazilian president, the Brazilian president, the Indian prime minister, and the Chinese president on the margins of the G8 summit in Tokyo, Japan. Once again, a Russian initiative. And then again, once again, Russian initiative. The very first real big BRIC summit with all the leaders of the BRIC countries was held on the 16th of June, 2009. And they agreed on a common goal, quote, to promote dialogue and cooperation among our countries in an incremental, proactive, pragmatic, open, and transparent way. The dialogue and cooperation of the BRIC countries is conducive not only to serving common interests of emerging market economies and developing countries, but also to building a harmonious world of lasting peace and common prosperity, unquote. Once again, do you see the that collaborative, let's all be buddies and we'll all get ahead theme that you see in China's Silk and Road Initiative? Oh, you bet. 
Going back a little bit a few years before these formulative meetings, O'Neill, Goldman Sachs, published a research paper. It was called, quote, Building Better Global Economic Bricks, B-R-I-C-S. And that's where the name came from. And O'Neill, in this paper, saw Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa as the 21st century economic powerhouses. South Africa, by the way, joined the initial BRICS group of four in those earlier meetings in 2011. And BRICS now holds elaborate and extensive annual summits discussing all sorts of issues, trade, finance, development, energy, technology. And they have put together two big financial institutions for the BRICS countries. The New Development Bank, which is called the NDB, and the Contingent Reserve Arrangement, called the CRA, for economic development and financial stability. BRICS, by the way, all by itself, is around 30% of the land area of the world, 27% of the GDP of the world, and a significant chunk of the world's population. Just think of India and China. That's almost half of the world's population right there. So you can see it's around this nucleus that China has initiated its Silken Road initiative. And the BRICS nucleus is now attracting other states who want to be members, formal members of BRICS, such as Saudi Arabia, you know, our good petrodollar buddy, and a number of countries in South America and Africa and Asia. Remember that China has over 150 countries enrolled in the Silken Road Initiative, which is the kissing cousin, the twin brother, the twin sister, whatever you want to call it, to the BRICS. By the way, one of the things that the BRICS really advocates hard for is a more equitable international order. In other words, they don't have to kiss the butt of the Western countries, particularly the United States anymore, and a greater representation of emerging economies in overall global governance. That should make Klaus Schwab rather nervous at the WEF, don't you think? BRICS has pretty well-defined objectives, just like the silk, the, the sister Silk and Road Project initiative of China. You can sum them up by saying cooperation, development, and influence in world affairs. That, that's the heart of the goals of the BRICS. They want to encourage trade. They want to encourage growth amongst members. And they want to improve the BRICS economies and access to markets. They want to politically coordinate, in other words, strengthen kind of political discourse and coordination on international issues. They've begun to progress to the point where they have social and cultural exchanges and an active program of engendering mutual respect for one another's cultures. And they're really focused. We're going to get into this a little bit. You'll see the synergy here in the Silken Road Initiative part of this presentation to you. They want to strengthen international collaboration in the fields of science, technology, and innovation, which, by the way, includes AI. Remember China's big push. Remember the history of AI last week, China's Sputnik moment in 2016. And they have some lip service stuff, too. You know, sustainable development, promoting environmentally friendly and sustainable development methods, etc., etc., etc. But first and foremost, they are talking about becoming the, not one of, but the economic powerhouse in the world. And another kind of common theme is peace and security, promoting peace, stability, and security locally, internationally, and sharing security issues and risks such as terrorism. You know, folks, if you think about it, that's just one step away from military alliance, kind of like NATO. All these countries that are currently in BRICS, and in fact, all the countries that want to join BRICS, just over the last year, thanks to the moronic 
weaponization of the dollar, of Kadaver's administration. All of them are significant rising economies and have enormous potential and enormous resources that can catapult their future growth. They're now forming certain types of councils within the BRICS to focus on and drive forward their various goals and objectives that I just shared with you. One of them is the BRICS Business Council. Its sole mission is to attract investment and lower trade barriers. They have another one that's now focused on political influence. Another one that's focused on global governance reform. In other words, Western world, we're not listening to you anymore. And they are firmly focused on a multipolar world. In other words, the United States is gone as the only superpower. It's kind of interesting that Goldman Sachs, remember this is kind of where the idea germinated really, that Russia then pushed. And very importantly, and this is the rest of the story, at the upcoming BRICS summit in 2023, this is the last week of August, I believe it's the 23rd and 24th or 24th and 25th, they are discussing specifically a new either currency or digital currency or combination backed by resources or gold, or a combination. And this is going to have, because it is going to occur, whether or not at this meeting, or whether or not they hold the cards close to their vests for another year, it is going to happen. And it's going to have a profound impact on global payments worldwide, and therefore worldwide economies, worldwide inflation, all sorts of things. And the aim of the BRICS countries is very simple. They want to introduce this alternative currency to get away from the dollar, to enhance their financial independence, and to get completely out of reliance on current monetary systems like the SWIFT system, which is used to manipulate and place and trade in dollars around the world. This new BRICS currency, whatever form it takes, whether it's digital, whether it's paper but backed by assets, is not going to be good for the U.S. dollar. It's not going to be good for the European euro. And it's going to take over an even more significant chunk of international trade and international payments. It's also going to strengthen all the ties which have been developing for now almost 15 years within the BRICS block. And obviously, it's already attracting all sorts of countries like Saudi Arabia, who used to be paid up to just a year ago, just in dollars for their oil and are now accepting yuan. There's a potential silver lining to this, maybe less so for the United States and the rest of the world. But the more powerful the BRICS countries become, the more dominant or the greater the rise in the use of their new alternative currency, whether or not announced this coming August or next year, the more it might spur overall global trade and economy. But on the other hand, if the Western countries, the Europeans and the Americans and Japan and Australia, are left out of this, the benefits to the West might be paltry. Maybe that's one of the reasons, go back to our history of China's Silk Road Initiative, that the European countries are involved with China kind of hush-hush in a series of infrastructure projects, both belt projects, i.e. overland, and road projects, i.e. maritime trade routes. Even the Europeans are hedging their bets against the United States. Which brings us to our little uh, discussion of China's Silk Road Initiative. Some things that you didn't know, how extensive this plan, and incredibly ambitious well thought out and, for the most part, very successfully implemented thus far plan. So in addition to the belt, in addition to the road, in addition to the five continents, they also have an ice silk road. That's I-C-E, that's right. And this is between primarily Russia and China, who've agreed to jointly build 
an ice silk road, quote unquote, along the northern sea route in the Arctic and a maritime route within Russian territorial waters. In fact, China, Costco Shipping Corporation, has already completed several trial trips on the Arctic shipping routes, and Chinese and Russian companies are cooperating on oil and gas exploration in the area. Also, scientific expeditions, and probably, shall we say, military stuff of some kind. And then China has going full tilt the digital Silk Road. This is really kind of a component of the Belt and Road Initiative, which includes technological development. You see how this ties into the BRICS countries? Development of digital standards, the expansion of digital infrastructure, and its goal is to prove dig- is to improve digital con- connectivity. You know, the connection between all the member states of BRICS and its cousin, all the participating countries with China in the overall Belt and Road Initiative. Already, and this is a year ago, there's no current stats that I can find, but already China has built 34 terrestrial cables, dozens of underwater cables in Asia, Africa, and Europe between 2017 and 2022. Digital Silk Road-related investments and projects outside of China have reached an estimated 79 billion dollars as of 2018. Nobody can get their hands on the numbers as of now. And this was first announced, this digital tangent of the Silk Road Initiative, by Qi of China. And he emphasized, this is in 2015, the importance of developing this digital Silk Road, smart cities concepts, digital economy. Oh, you mean like the BRICS digital currency backed by gold or other assets, nanotechnology, and quantum computing, oh, and artificial intelligence. Think back to last week, the history of artificial intelligence, which I brought to you. And there are lots of members in Europe and Asia, oh, there's Europe again, cooperating with the digital Silk Road. And all of them, virtually all of them, have incorporated Chinese technologies into their digital infrastructure. And what does that mean, folks? You've heard enough about it. That means China knows everything that everyone and everybody and every minister and every government worker and every high mucky muck government guy in all these countries on the digital Silk Road are doing or going or saying every second of every day. It's kind of China's international surveillance system, and they get paid to do it. What a plan. And finally, China is also embarked as yet another tangent of the Silk Road on the supergrid. And the supergrid project basically wants to develop six ultra-high voltage electrical grids across China, Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia, South Asia, Central Asia, and West Asia. To make themselves look good to the world, there's even a wind and solar component to this grid, although rather minimal. Do you see what China is doing here? They lend you the money to do the infrastructure on land, on sea, and you have to pay them back. Or, well, you know, probably you won't own your port or you won't own your railroad anymore. They get you to use Chinese companies, pretty much with the money flowing right to the Chinese government and the CCP, to do all your digital stuff, your phones and your cables and your internet. They get to spy on you by doing that. And their companies get paid for putting it all together. And now you're going to pay them for power. And if you get out of line, I wonder what happens. You think you keep getting that electrical juice? Hmm, I guess we'll have to wait and see. As they say, time tells all tales. But that does not diminish the brilliance and the incredibly comprehensive plan that China and the BRICS countries, remember, this is all one big bowl of soup, 
has been put together and is being implemented. In the meantime, we spend our tax dollars on woke initiatives like DEI and ESG. What could possibly go wrong here in the balance of global powers and economies in the future? And now let's do a pile of rat-a-tat-tat. You'll find that a lot of these little tidbits, and remember, all these stories, full detail, are on the website under various categories, rat-a-tat-tat, treason, corruption, international, military, you name it. But a lot of these rat-a-tat-tat stories today are going to tie right into the historical story on the BRICS and the follow-up on the Chinese Silk Road, and therefore the American economy and the American dollar, and on the ranch story which is there's always some good in the bad and there's always some bad in the good. There's always trade-offs. Let's start with the two most recent examples of how non-Western nations, you know, the Silk Road crew and the BRICS club, plan to avoid the weaponized dollar. Argentina, late last week, made a loan repayment to the International Monetary Fund worth the equivalent of $2.7 billion without using dollars on Friday, in fact, using Chinese yuan and special drawing rights notes, the SDRs, which basically the International Monetary Bank, the World Bank issues. And this is expected to deplete Argentina's $1.65 billion in SDRs to about nothing. But Juan will be making up the difference, the Chinese currency. And Argentina observed, quote, the Juan is as good as the greenback, unquote. I'm sure China will be very pleased with that proclamation. But there's more. Refiners in India are now paying for oil imports from Russia in Chinese yuan. And as you know, I think it was two or three months ago, China switched entirely to the yuan for most of its energy imports from Russia, which overtook Saudi Arabia this year as China's top crude supplier. So much for Mr. Biden's (laughs) and his moronic cruise sanctions. That sure worked out well. And it seems that there are a number of banks now in the BRICS and the Silk Road Club that are refusing to accept dollars to settle trades. That doesn't sound good. And in kind of correlated news, economic news, you probably heard about the job thing. Oh, there was 456,000 new jobs blared the mainstream media at the request of their government handlers. And then, more quietly, There was only 209,000 jobs when we were expecting 225,000 jobs, non-farm payroll, which was, and they didn't mention this, 100,000 jobs less than the same month, June, last year. And then it came out in the really fine print for people who dug that of the 456,000 non-farm jobs or farm-related all-industry jobs, the first number that was blared out by the press, Oh, over 300,000 were part-time jobs. Nor did the mainstream media tell you that the employment index, remember, above 50 on indexes is good, below 50 is bad. It fell into contraction territory. It was down 3.3 percentage points to 48.1% in June. That's a big drop, folks. In fact, 3.3% of 50% is not too far under a 10% drop. The prices index was also in contraction territory, down 2.4 percentage points at 41.8%. And the U.S. manufacturing sector shrank again. Wow, what a surprise. With the manufacturing index losing ground compared to the previous month. By the way, at a faster rate of contraction. In fact, of the six biggest manufacturing industries, only one, transportation equipment, 
registered any growth in June. And the overall manufacturing index, which is called the ISM, was at 46% in June. Everybody thought it would be in contraction, but everybody was projecting 47.2%. In really good news, federal judge Terry Doughty out of Louisiana, appointed by Trump in fact, absolutely blew the Biden administration and the executive branch's enforcement agencies, the FBI, the disinformation crew that they have in the White House, the other agencies, the three-letter agencies, out of the water. He ruled that they can no longer contact, never mind collude, you know, which was proven by the Twitter files and a host of other information, to interfere with communications or speech online. This is huge, folks. And the government's crying the blues. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Here's a few mentions from his order. Although censorship alleged in this case almost exclusively targeted conservative speech, the issues raised herein go beyond party lines. The right to free speech is not a member of any political party and does not hold any political ideology. It is the purpose of the free speech clause of the First Amendments to preserve an uninhibited marketplace of ideas in which truth will ultimately prevail, rather than to countenance monopolization of the market, whether it be by government itself or private licensee. And he ruled that the government, quote, asked social media companies to censor misinformation regarding climate change, gender discussions, abortion, and economic policy, unquote. You'll agree that's, that's kind of a wide range of topics. And by the way, he ordered an immediate injunction. The government may be unable to understand the English language and read Judge Doughty's order. Said, no, 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 no. This is going to cause irreparable harm if you do this. We won't be able to keep the people safe. Gee, let's see, we're talking about gender, we're talking about the economy, etc. in his order. But they're focused on one thing, knowing what everybody is doing and making sure they control what everybody hears about any of their agenda-riddled topics. So, Cadaver's administration, as incredible as it may seem in the face of an order like this, is trying to find ways around it, and they have appealed it. It's amazing. It's really amazing. In fact, they asked Dowdy to pause his own order so that they wouldn't suffer irreparable harm, you know, with all this misinformation on all these wide range of topics out there. And Dowdy refused. They got kind of a double slap from Dowdy, which good for him, a judge that actually follows the law and the Constitution. By the way, the plaintiffs in this case were Louisiana, Missouri, and a host of well-known names that were beating the drums on COVID, COVID origins, the COVID jabs, gender-related matters, transsexual-related matters, economic matters, United States debt matters. I can go all the way down the list. Do you remember the old quote from Benjamin Franklin? He who trades security, even though obviously none of this has to do with security, he who trades security for freedom shall wind up with neither. Let me give you some eyebrow raisers from the the golden state out there. So California Democrats, they've introduced a bill, I'm not making this up, that would require judges to take into account a convicted criminal's race when determining prison sentences. Oh, what could go wrong here? This is Assembly Bill 852, and it's part of the California Reparations Task Force efforts to address racial bias in the criminal justice system. This is the same outfit, folks, who has recommended that every black person in California get $1.2 million, about $800 billion or so. And so they're insisting in this bill that courts consider the impact on historically 
I'm quoting now. Historically disenfranchised and system-impacted populations when exercising discretion in sentencing. And the bill makes it unlawful if it can be proven that the defendant of a particular race, ethnicity, or national origin was charged or convicted of a more serious offense, received a longer or harsher sentence, and that such disparities were more frequently imposed on individuals of the same race, ethnicity, or national origin, unquote. Now, folks, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to take the next step, which means that prosecutors, even non-Soros prosecutors, are going to charge certain folks with lesser crimes to not run afoul of this law. And judges are going to impose much less strict sentences, including for rather heinous felonies, you know, rape, murder, etc. If those top-level charges are even brought, what do you think the result's going to be on crime? Think about California's law, which basically makes it illegal to prosecute anybody for stealing more than $950 from a store. But we're not done with California, because there's more rather incredible stuff coming from that state. You know, every time you think you've seen it all, you see more. So the Public Safety Committee of the California Assembly, which of course is dominated by Democrats, recently they refused, I mean, they just flat refused to endorse this legislation that had been proposed that combats human trafficking. California consistently ranks number one in the nation in the number of human trafficking cases as reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. By the way, human trafficking is among the world's fastest-growing enterprises, criminal enterprises, at $150 billion a year global industry. $150 billion in human trafficking. And this includes kids. And this includes sex-related trafficking. And this includes labor-related trafficking. And I can go on down the list. It seems that the $600 billion for green deals... In the Infrastructure Act, you know, the, the part of our $34 trillion in debt. Well, it seems that hundreds of billions are going to speculative, potentially non-economic projects that are being pursued solely because the feds have money that they're doling out for who knows what types of favors. Do you remember back in Obama's day? Remember, this is Obama's third term. Remember all the shovel-ready stuff that wasn't shovel-ready? There's a tape of him actually saying that. I guess it wasn't shovel-ready. You remember Solyndra, $580 million down the tube? I mean, they got the money, and like a month later, they were bankrupt. Oh, well, the Infrastructure Act, along with the Inflation Reduction Act, oh, yes, well-named, had this $600 billion in subsidies. And let me give you just one example of what's going on. This was reported by Reuters just this last Monday. So there's this new low-carbon ammonia manufacturing facility. It's being actually under construction, being built in Texas by a Dutch company. Oh, let's keep the money at home. The Dutch company is called OCI. There's an initial investment of $1 billion of our tax money. And OCI jumps up and down and says, this, this plant will be the first in the world that will capture and store 95% of the emissions created from the making of ammonia. Ammonia, folks, happens to be a necessary byproduct and ingredient in nitrogen-based fertilizers that kind of feed the world, you know. The CEO of this Dutch company... Ahmed El Hoshi freely admits, by the way, that the plant would not move forward if they weren't getting these IRA subsidies spelled your tax dollars. Unfortunately, for the United States taxpayer, there's two really glaring problems in this business model. First, 
OCI broke ground without having first identified a single, not one single, ready customer for the ammonia that the plant's going to produce. Because the cost for this ammonia that the plant is producing is way higher than any other ammonia producer. And second, they admit that the economics for the project depend on the assumption, now listen to this, that governments in other countries in the West, in the Western Alliance, Japan, South Korea, for instance, will enact yet additional subsidies which will help potential customers absorb the higher prices. And that, folks, is the Western economy's economic model right now. Uh, It should end very well. By the way, just to drop back for a moment, remember the job statistics, those wonderful job statistics I was giving you? You know what? I forgot to mention, and mainstream media isn't mentioning this. In the last five months, folks, actually the last six months, 60,000 of those jobs every month has been government jobs. Government jobs. You think this government is expanding? Oh, you bet it is. Last year, the average per month was 23,000, less than half your tax dollars at work, and the real story behind employment. And while we're talking about your tax money, did you know that there were 14 U.S. senators, we're talking about Republicans, that helped Joe Biden allocate $750 million to use in bribing states into passing red flag laws last summer. And even Wyoming, red, red Wyoming, has received a stunning $644,469 from the federal government to aid in the enforcement of red flag gun seizure, quote, unquote. And the purpose here is obvious, right? It's a bribe. It's all about the money. I've been bringing you many stories about this in many tangents of government operations. Give Wyoming and other state politicians a taste of this money and promise them tens of millions of additional dollars if they pass red flag gun seizures or other gun control measures. You bet. And now let's do a whole bunch of kind of quick headlines, one sentence description. There's so much to cover. That's the only way I'm going to be able to cover it. All these articles are on the website. Under Rat-a-tat-tat, the really good ones, audio bar, corruption, treason, international, military. Read the articles for details. So FBI Director Ray got grilled by the House committee the other day. He admitted that the FBI was, in fact, meeting with social media companies, you know, on that misinformation, until the federal judge stopped them. What do you want to bet that the meetings go on clandestinely? He also got leveled on the Hunter Biden corruption probe and what they're doing to cover that up. There's some great audios and videos on the website under the audio bar, treason, corruption, and rat-a-tat-tat, Jim Jordan, Matt Gaetz, and another one with Josh Hawley grilling a Biden judicial nominee and getting her slash him, to admit that they are deeply anti-religious. Oh, yes, see what they're putting on the on the bench, you bet. And then we have Janet Yellen's disastrous trip to China, where she bowed to President Xi. First of all, really bad etiquette. Secondly, really bad psychology. Thirdly, <laughs> the Chinese loved it. And Yellen, you know, she keeps the beat going on. And by the way, talking about the Treasury Department, guess what's come out? It costs the United States Treasury, I'm not making this up, 10 cents to make a nickel, a five-cent coin. It costs them 2.7 cents to make a copper penny, you know, a one-cent coin. It's your tax dollars at work again, and they can't seem to 
get it through their heads. This has been going on, it appears, since 2006 to the tune of somewhere around $70 million a year. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, What can you say? Bank of America. I've been warning you about the two big-to-fail banks, the CFE banks. They were just forced to pay back. One report has it over $100 million. Another report has it as much as $250 million to a whole bunch of people around the country where they made up fake accounts, charged them fees, and the people either never knew about it until they got the billing or saw the debits, and all these accounts were opened without their permission or knowledge. you got to read that story. Now, you know the left has been jumping up and down, particularly after those four or five Supreme Court deals, the the great gun decision that they had, stopping affirmative action, stopping the student debt payback. The left is going wild, and they have a whole plan for undermining the Supreme Court, putting it under the thumb of Congress with ethical rules and regulations, which is unconstitutional. You know, they're separate branches of government. And they've been jumping up and down, particularly about Clarence Thomas, because they hate him, okay? I mean, they hate him because he's black, and he's a great conservative. It's uh, racism in reverse, shall we say. But they're all upset because somebody that he's never dealt with in terms of the court business has uh, taken him on cruises on his yacht or whatever. Well, now it comes out that Justice Sonia Sotomayor has a major scandal going, just broke in the last few days. It seems that she was somehow using taxpayer money to promote her books and that her net worth has jumped precipitously since she became a justice several years ago. You might want to take a look at that story. And to show you how Looney Tunes the left and the left mainstream media is, well, it's all left mainstream media. I mean, it's just degrees of left. But MSNBC actually had a program that said that being healthy or wanting to be healthy is far right. You are a Nazi nationalist if you want to be healthy. So take that. Start eating those candies. Stop your exercising and be American. You gotta read. You gotta read this story. The Sound of Freedom. Have you heard about that movie? It's about human trafficking. Remember what the little tidbit I brought you on California here a few minutes ago? Well, from what I hear, I have not seen it, but I'm going to. It's grossed $40 million in box office receipts, more than the new Disney film, which is terrific. And I understand that it's absolutely spectacular and a terrific documentary. You might want to see it and see what's really going on behind the scenes with illegal immigration and worldwide trafficking of human beings, including children. On the international front, we'll come back to the wacko domestic front, the dystopian America. There's like 100,000 troops that NATO is planning to put in Poland, really. And then the cluster bombs, which was floated as a balloon, not any relationship to the Chinese balloons, by Biden, seem to already be in Ukraine. Oh, that's terrific. And Ukraine is getting F-16s, which, by the way, can deliver nuclear warheads. And Russia has warned NATO. They consider the F-16 deal for Ukraine a nuclear threat. You can take that as you wish. Article on the website, on the right side, radio.com. Interesting article on the website under women, which is where you put all the family stuff that's not family safety and education stuff. I'll give you the headline. Moms raise conservative kids in deep blue woke city. Tell their tested parenting techniques. Might be something you want to take a look at. Zelensky, you know, that corrupt little dictator who has outlawed uh, opponent political parties, basically free and fair elections, jailed anybody in the press 
that does not see the Zelensky NATO globalist way as it comes to the Ukraine war has now been revealed to have palatial estates in other countries. wonder where that money came from. Can anybody say the United States taxpayer? And he admitted, first of all, he got on NATO's butt because NATO on the 11th said, you can't come into NATO yet, you have to follow the rules. And he just went berserk. And in his rant against NATO, once again, article on the website under international and rat-a-tat-tat, he admitted that the goal is for Russia to cease to exist as a country. That's a quote, folks. I wonder what the chances are of peace with Vladimir Putin and the Russians if they think that the goal of NATO and Zelensky and crew is to make Russia cease to exist. And I wonder who's profiting by an ongoing drawn-out conflict. Let me tell you a little bit about BlackRock next week. Yes, they seem to have their little fingers in everything. And they're a quasi-bank, so they're not regulated. You know, they're in the gray zone. Disney has hired a gay porn star for the live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Wow. Like, when is it coming out? I gotta buy my tickets in advance because I gotta make sure I have a front row seat. The Department of Justice, always looking out for us and our children, has removed from its website the pages related to, I quote, international sex trafficking of minors. In fact, that page is no longer listed under areas of concern on the DOJ site. Okay, you kind of see how this all fits in with California. Do you see the concerted efforts and directed attacks of the left on faith, family, and the Constitution? A good article on the COVID page, America Frontline Doctors, Deadly and Unnecessary Vaccines. You might want to read it. And you know this big NATO meeting that Zelensky was all riled up about because he didn't get his way? I guess maybe there was a billion in in skim on all the money flowing into Ukraine that he's not going to get. I mean, poor Zelensky. Well, there was a very important dinner. This is like the day before the NATO meeting when all this is going to be decided. And Joe Biden didn't attend. In fact, he didn't attend four dinners on this trip because, according to the White House staff, who can, of course, be believed, he was very tired from working. And he had four days of work ahead of him. And he was going to give a speech. And he had to rest up. And he's been working nonstop. In fact, the exact words were overwhelming workload. Unfortunately for Joe, he was filmed shirt off. Who? my shirt off on a beach in Delaware on Saturday. You know, yucking it up and having a good old time and catching some rays. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction this week after July 4th. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.